listening to First Church Charlotte. Good morning, First Church. Good to see all of you here today. I, I feel the presence of the Lord here today. I, I'm, I'm, I, uh, honestly, I, we say that a lot. Us church people talk about that a lot, and sometimes, sometimes we say it out of habit. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's like something that is, uh, uh, how shall we say, it's not that we're lying, uh, it's just that it becomes part of our style of speaking one with another. Uh, and then we have some Sundays where it's just, uh, it's like from the very moment you get there, it's like the presence of the Lord is there touching you and wrapping his arms around you. How many of you have ever come to church and you needed to feel the presence of the Lord that way? I, I know you have. I've done the same thing. So good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. We're continuing uh, a short series we're doing entitled Soul Survivor, S-O-U-L, Soul Survivor. And we're talking a lot about the care of our soul. We're talking about the care of our heart. Our three theme scripture is from the uh, book of Proverbs where the Bible says that we should care for our heart with our all diligence because out of it is the issues of life. Uh, today we're continuing in that and we are going to be looking at some of the some of the uh, things that we can do as believers to make sure that we are caring for our souls. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, all of you took the time to come out to the house of the Lord. Um, I'm thankful for those of you joining us online. It's a great honor, a great honor for me to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you. And so we are going to get right in it. I also want to say thank you to our worship team. We are blessed. We have a tremendous worship team here at First Church. And they are, they are just a great blessing to us. Uh, you know, it's not good to get the worship team mad at you. Um, it's just, particularly if you're a preacher or a pastor, you don't want to get the worship team mad at you. I heard a story about one pastor got in a fight with his worship team. And so he got up that next Sunday and he preached on... Um, uh, get, you know, getting out and doing something for the Lord and getting involved in the work of the Lord and don't just stay in your pew, but get out and, and do a work from the Lord. And the praise team got up behind him and saying, I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. And that next Sunday, they were still mad at him. And so he preached on uh, giving to the kingdom of God and just give till it hurts. And the praise team got up and seeing Jesus paid it all. <laughs> Then he preached on gossiping and how we shouldn't be gossiping, and they got up and sang, I love to tell the story. <laughs> and he was almost at the end of his rope, so he said, you know, next Sunday he was going to, he was going to consider... He was going to consider resigning. He said that on Sunday night, and the praise team got up and sang, oh, why not tonight? <laughs> and then finally, the pastor was disgusted, and he, he, he got up that last Sunday, and he resigned the church, and he told them that Jesus had led him there, and Jesus had told them, him that the time for him to be there was done, and Jesus told him it was time for him to get out of town, and it was time for him to, re to resign the church, and Jesus told him that he was finished there, and so so the praise team got up and saying, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to make the praise team mad at you. They can rain on your parade. And I do a pretty good job of raining on my own parade, so I don't need anyone helping with that. Praise the Lord, somebody. All right, let's get into it here today. Uh, we want to care for our souls. Uh, this is the kind of um, focus that you will often find in the words of Jesus teaching to very religious groups of people. Uh, Jesus did much of his teaching uh, where uh, many of the listeners were not uh, necessarily the kind of people who would think of themselves as being sinners. Jesus spent time with sinners and he was uh, criticized harshly for it. But many of the times where he is teaching, you will find the audience that are there listening are quite religious Jews, quite zealous, uh, quite religious Jews. And uh, the, the teaching that Jesus is giving them is one of uh, what is true, what is true 
true religion, what is true worship, what is uh, true, uh, shall we say, commitment to God? Um, Is it simply kind of following the formula that you have received, or is it a matter of the heart? And you'll find again and again in the words of Jesus, passages where Jesus, uh, he addresses this issue uh, of the heart as a correction, as a correction to the Uh, The people who, although they were zealous and although they were hungry, they had had made a kind of formula of God and not made a a relationship of heart with God. And so let me uh, real quick read a passage. I'm going to perhaps read a little bit more scripture today. Um, I'm going to largely read in the Lou Living Translation, so it'll help you with your focus. Uh, Sometimes it can be work to stick through uh, a way of speaking that is not... Uh, your common way of speaking. And so I'm going to read a passage. Uh, this is Matthew 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Uh, they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they, they, they eat. And Jesus replied, um, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God. Uh, for instance, Jesus refers them to uh, a principle of the, the law to honor your father and mother and, any, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I vowed to give to God that I would have given him. Uh, Jesus is pointing out uh, a flaw of their theology to show them they really aren't pursuing righteousness. They're pursuing community righteousness. Um, That's not quite the same thing. Uh, Serving God must be something that is done deep within our heart, not simply to a level where the people in our lives approve of us. Why, why is this important? Because um, serving one another is one of the snares of religious community where we, we serve one another. And this is what Jesus is, is getting at with them. Uh, in this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote these people honor me with their lips notice this they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me see this is a problem where an individual has kind of a label they kind of have an image in a community of being you know church people but it's not a religion of the heart it's as though they have a style they have a habit but in their heart there is something that is that is missing. And so Jesus says, says this to them in this passage. Um, your worship is a farce. Uh, you have man-made ideas that you teach as commandments from God. And then Jesus calls the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he says, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Again, this is a heart problem. Uh, pursuing God and, and, and knowing God and serving God must be a way we choose within our inner lives. It is a a matter of the soul. It's a matter of the soul, and uh, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, and it's what you come, that comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Now, uh, this is hard for them to understand because for them, the way what they eat is part of their religious um, identity, and the disciples are concerned about this, and they say, uh, don't you realize that you offend the the Pharisees by what you just said. And uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be overly troubled by this. He says, look, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignored them. They are blind guides leading them blind. And if one blind person leads another, they will both fall into a ditch. If anybody has um, someone in your life who is continually putting you under, under condemnation, you are sincere and trying as hard as you, as good as you can. And there's someone in your life that's always putting you under condemnation for some reason. Uh, the Bible gives you the right formula to deal with them. Uh, you don't have to fight them. You don't have to reject them. The right formula is just ignore them. Um, <laughs> there's, this is 
isn't something worth fighting over. Just ignore them. Uh, Jesus says this to them. Uh, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Now, you got to understand the big problem of this moment, what is happening right here. This is kind of a big deal. Our whole lives we've been taught you could have this and not that. And now you're saying, look, the problem of spiritual defilement is, is not a food problem. It's a heart problem. It's, it's the words, the thoughts, the ideas that come out of you. Uh, explain this to us. Verse 16. Jesus says, look, don't you understand uh, yet? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and into the sewer. Now, if you think I'm the only one who talks plain, I would encourage you to know uh, that Jesus talked very, very plain. Um, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. You see, this battle of, uh, of pursuing righteousness is an issue that very much is, is, is fought and struggled in our heart. And uh, that's so much of the words and the teachings of Jesus uh, is to explain this. Even if what you are doing is in itself uh, either good or not bad, if it's not done with purity of the heart, you've, you've missed the point of having a soul that is right with God. Jesus talked about this this so much, we can't afford to ignore it. Jesus talked about it so much, we can't just rush along and pretend like it's not in the word of the Lord. Um, The words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. Now, notice what Jesus says. Verse number 19, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Now, this is just one example of much of the teaching that Jesus does that is directly related to the issue of the heart. And when Jesus invites us to follow after him, when he invites us to make his way our way, uh, when he says things like uh, our righteousness exceeds even that of the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders, um, he's not inviting us to even a tighter formula of uh, pleasing God. He's inviting us to a way of pursuing the presence of God. You're going to understand that much better once the Holy Spirit is given because something is going to happen at the giving of the Holy Spirit and that is you are going to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of this begins to make much more sense once you see the fulfillment of God's plan where Jesus ascends, he is uh, a covering for our sin, he, he is our redeemer, and then having defeated uh, death and hell, he ascends, and he says, this is for your sake, that the Holy Spirit might come to you. You're going to understand this uh, easier and much better, and this, this concern, this focus upon the issues of the heart and soul are so important that we need to apply ourselves to the care of our souls. This is a deeper issue than whether or not you're saved or lost because um, salvation is a gift that God gives to you through his accomplishment and thus our works are not an accomplishment of salvation but they are an offering of worship. Our lives, our choices, it becomes literally a love offering of worship unto the Lord. The way in which I live does not Uh, some way make me worthy of salvation, that's never going to happen. But it is a love language that I offer to God in light of his salvation. This theme, again, is going to repeat in the word word of the Lord. It's like the apostle Paul would say, uh, in light of God's mercy, uh, uh, be holy as your your father in heaven is holy. In light of God's mercy, uh, be holy as your father in heaven is holy. Uh, Here's the reality. I'm never in my effort going to be holy, but as a response to his mercy, I can live a life of spiritual worship and love unto unto the Lord. So I want to talk about the soul here uh, for a little while, and I want to uh, have you understand what I'm trying to get at. Let me read you a quote from a, a wonderful book written by Thomas More entitled Care of the Soul. Uh, he says this, quote, as the poets and painters of centuries have tried to tell us, art is not about the expression of talent. 
or the making of pretty things. It is about the preservation and containment of soul. It is about arresting life and making it available for contemplation. Art captures the eternal in the everyday, and it is the eternal that feeds the soul. Let me say that again. It is the eternal that feeds the soul. Ancient men lived lives that were drenched in a sense of the sacred. Uh, They, because they knew of how much they did not understand, they lived lives drenched in ideas that they came up with, uh, myths that they came up with to make sense of it all. Uh, This is really the story of ancient man. They lived every day drenched with a sense of the sacred. And this is what humanity does when it does not understand. It makes up a story and tries to tell it to eternity. It makes up a story and tries to tell it to um, the generations to come. Uh, This is what it means to live a life. Stay with me on this. uh, uh, Drenched in the sacred. And uh, for generation after generation, this is how people lived. And then modernity comes along. And we, through uh, the gift of science, through a type of evidence-based pursuit of what we know and what we don't know first, and then what we can't know and what we can know, out of that science comes a lot of human progress, which is good. And I think it is reflective of the capacity that God created us with. And so when there is advances in health and science and uh, there are advances that we think of as human progress, these things are not the enemy of faith. There are things they can do and things they can't do. There are questions science can answer and questions science can never answer. So it's not as though these things stand in opposition uh, to a life of faith. In fact, I believe uh, with uh, more than a handful of philosophers uh, that there are many issues of life that will never be solved by, uh, by, by education, solved by science. I would say the most important questions of life are not something you can put in a test tube. I believe a life of faith is uh, absolutely the path to meaning, and meaning is the only chance that any human anywhere has at happiness. Stay with me on this. And so uh, we, having seen more science than generations that have gone before, we created this mistake. And the mistake goes like this. Because we know a lot about some things, we decided we know a lot about mostly everything. Let me say that again. We think because we know a lot about some things, uh, we think we know a lot about everything. And this uh, leads us into an increasingly meaningless life. We think we can answer the question of why simply because we answered the question of what. I'm in some deep water. That's okay. You guys are good swimmers. So I want you to know science is very good at answering questions of what, but it fails terribly in answering questions of why. We still must pursue meaning in getting comfortable with the why. Why am I here? What is the nature of my life? Is this all there is? Is there anything more than this life that I perceive, and I would say, as a preacher of faith, yes, 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 and indeed, again, I say yes. You see, the difference in Christianity, in contrast to all the myths, in my, uh, admittedly, in my opinion, is that the myths are the stories we tell to eternity, and Christianity is the story that eternity tells to us. And the difference is this. We go to God, we think this, and we make up this story, and we have this idea, and this is how it happens, but in Christianity, God comes to us, and he says, I love you so much that you who were broken, I will be broken as a covering for you. You who are sinners, I will be a covering for your sin. And that's the beauty of the Christian story. It's not us telling a story to the heavens. It is God telling a story to the earth. 
you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Ancient man lived deep in myth and deep uh, in life's drenched in uh, the mythic. Uh, an example of this is every day of our week is named after uh, a deity of some sort. For example, uh, Saturday is named after Saturn, uh, who is, they weren't talking about the planet. They were talking about an ancient uh, myth, myth myth a deity of myth. Uh, and they lived lives, these ancient men, drenched in uh, uh, the sacred, shall we say, and they, uh, they were held by the stories they told, and uh, they looked at mystery, and they made up a story to give them a sense of, of meaning relative to that mystery, but us modern people, we don't have that problem anymore. Uh, ancient man made every day of their week a testimony to, to a sacred thing. Uh, we moderns have a problem letting one day of the week be sacred. They, they, they drenched every day that they lived with the sacred, and we struggle to make one day a week sacred. Um, and as a result, this is a lie we've told ourselves because we know a lot about some things. We presume that we know a lot about everything, and uh, then life laughs in the struggles and life mocks us in the suffering because uh, we did not know near as much as we we thought we did. Our souls suffer because they have no connection to uh, the eternal and your soul desperately needs a connection to the eternal. Um, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. What you have is a body. You are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body, and we struggle to connect with sacred things in these modern lives because we are so held and we are so pinned, we are so controlled by distraction. Most of us live lives where the predominant theme after our obligation is entertainment. Let me say it again. The predominant deed in a theme of our lives after our obligations, you have to work, you have to make a living, you have to pay the rent, etc. Uh, after that, the predominant theme of our life is entertainment. We have taken out time for consideration. We have taken out times for reflection. We have taken out times to simply be quiet and consider the eternal and let the sacred penetrate our lives. We're too busy being entertained. And the result of this is our souls grow weak. How is weakness expressed in the soul? Uh, it is expressed through a lack of foundations. How are foundations discovered? They're discovered through extremes. Jesus taught like this. He said, look, if you listen to the words I say, if you do these words, if you commit to them, if you let them be foundations, you will be like a man who built a house on a rock. Now that man's house looks like everybody else's house most days. Most days you can tell no difference between a house built upon rock and a house built upon sand. Most of the time, it all seems the same. But extremes reveal how you have built your house. The extreme may be a bad thing where you live through tremendous tragedy. Or the extreme may be tremendous blessing in your life. Both will shake you to your core. Both will make you question everything you thought you knew. Extremes are like the wind that grips the rafters of your home and shake it. We tend to think more in terms of the bad things testing us, but I want you to know uh, extremes of any type will test you. Extreme changes of circumstance, extreme changes of life, extreme changes of financial condition will make you question everything you thought you need. And the temptation for the people who have had tremendous changes of blessing in their life, they've had a tremendous influx, say, uh, 
uh, maybe they got a big contract or they sold a business or like a professional athlete, they went overnight from being underprivileged to overpaid. Uh, that extreme will challenge you. It will shake you and you will be forced to ask yourselves, what is my life about? Let me tell you a story that gives you an example of this. Uh, Horatio Spafford was a very, very successful attorney and businessman uh, in 19th century Chicago. Um, He uh, had invested very successfully in real estate and was very, very wealthy. Uh, He owned a lot of property along the shores of Lake Michigan. As a result, he was a uh, multi, multi multi-millionaire. He was a prosperous man, yes, a talented attorney, yes, also a devoted husband, a devoted father, and most importantly, he was a very devout Christian. Uh, He had been a part of the great revivals of D.L. Moody, and he, in many ways, was one of of the supporters, the financial supporters, uh, who made uh, the revivals of D.L. Moody possible. Um, and he, I, I just, I should say, most ministries are like that. Um, not, not, uh, most ministries have people who make it possible. Uh, this church has people in it that make the church possible. Let me just not rush past this, and let me just say thank you to all of you uh, who, through your faithfulness and your honoring of the Lord, make everything that this church does possible. I want to say thank you uh, for that. Uh, Horatio's wife's name was Anna, and together they were tremendously blessed people, but they were very devout people. Um, They had one son, and he died uh, at the very young age of four from scarlet fever, broke their hearts. They had uh, four girls, and uh, they lost their son, and the following year uh, was the great fire of Chicago and all his property was destroyed. Uh, this was before, you know, regular insurance in the manner that we would have it today. And um, he was wiped out. He went from being very, very successful back to being a working attorney as in working today so he can pay the rent tomorrow. Um, he had uh, resilience in him though, and they survived the setbacks, the loss of their son. Uh, they decided after uh, the, all of the difficulties, they decided to go to England to visit friends and family and actually be a part of one of D.L. Moody's revivals that was happening over there. Uh, they booked passage for their family on a, a, a very well, well-known and safe uh, ship. And uh, at the last minute, uh, Horatio uh, Spafford was not able to go because of business concerns. He was no longer the idle rich. He was now working again for a living. And uh, he couldn't go because of that, and his wife decided to go ahead and take the girls, uh, and he would come later when he could. And so they did that, and uh, there was a tragedy uh, on this crossing of the Atlantic, and uh, the ship they were on, which was a very, very well-known ship, uh, collided with another ship that was iron-hulled, and you know what happens when iron meets wood, uh, wood loses. And the family, uh, the ship the family was on was lost, and uh, in November, uh, or in, uh, yeah, that was November of 1873, uh, Horatio Spafford received news that the only one saved on uh, the ship his family had been on was his wife. Uh, All four of his daughters had been lost in the sinking of the ship. This was the greatest disaster in naval history uh, up until the sinking of the Titanic a few years later, or 40 years later, actually. Um, This man of faith, this man of, of, of no small success and zeal, um, he had lost everything. He, he received a, 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 a cable from his wife when she was brought to shore. Uh, he uh, received this six-word telegram from his wife, saved alone, what shall I do? It's heartbreaking to read the story because we all of us, uh, if you have any empathy uh, working in you at all, you think of people going through tragedy. It breaks your heart. You imagine yourself uh, in their shoes, so to speak, and uh, your heart breaks for yourself and then your heart breaks for them. Uh, their loss that they, that they would, they are facing and um, Horatio Spafford immediately booked passage on another ship to go be with his wife. And 
the captain of the ship knew the story, and when he was crossing the Atlantic, uh, the captain called to him and, and told him, as, as near as I can reckon by, by navigation, we are passing over right now uh, very near the spot where uh, your daughters were lost. And I wanted you to know so uh, you could take a moment here at this moment uh, as close as you uh, were, could be to that tragedy and uh, let, you, and let you know. So Horatio Spafford uh, went up on the deck of the ship and he stood there as the ship moved through the gray waters of the Atlantic and he, he prayed and he, he asked for God's help and he began writing a song which you know, you just may not know that you know. He began writing the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How in an extreme like this can anyone write, it is well with my soul? There's only one way. I'll give you the short version. Foundations. He has not waited until the last moment to try to build foundations. You see, let me point this out to you. Uh, Foundations are discovered in extremes. Do you see? But they're built day by day through small acts of spiritual discipline and faith. They are built day by day in the living of your life. You don't build foundations when you need them. If they're not already in the ground, it's all going to come crashing down. You build foundations day by day by day by day. I walk in the words that Jesus gave me. I do the words that Jesus gave me. I consider the scripture that I have been given every day. I make time to reflect on what God has done for me. I hold tightly, as tight as I can, to the promises of God. Every day I build foundations. And the truth is, most days, the house that I am building looks like everyone else's house. It takes an extreme to reveal foundations. Oh, but if you have built foundations uh, when the storm comes uh, and it wraps itself around the house that you have built and the storm tries to destroy the house you have built, you're able to say with Horatio Spadford, it is well with my soul because foundations have been built in your life. I want to just say a few things to you that I, I hope you can re- receive in your, in your life. Uh, and that, that is simply this. We all of us live with a certain set of disappointments, a certain set of struggles, uh, a certain set of, uh, shall we say, trials and pain. Um, that's true of everyone. Um, it usually is unhelpful for us to try to compare ourselves one with another because another person's trial will not make sense to you. It just won't. Um, You can uh, feel for them and you should. You can weep with them and you should. We mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice. But it is usually folly for us then to say what I've gone through is worse than what you have gone through. How would you know you've never been them? Uh, You don't know what it was like and so it's usually folly. We each of us have a set of disappointments, a set of troubles, a set of suffering, but hear me today, we cannot allow ourselves to be defined by our troubles. We cannot allow ourselves to be defined by our disappointments. Everybody has troubles and everybody has disappointments. Can I have a big first church amen? Everybody's got tears. Everybody's got pain. Everybody's got loss. Uh, I don't want to get in the folly of trying to compare it. I just want you to know everyone feels to the limit of their capacity. That's why a lot of times you'll find people apologizing over something they don't think that is that bad and 
yet they can't stop crying. I've met people who lost a beloved pet and they could not cry. They couldn't stop mourning for days and they would apologize for it. Why are they doing that? No, they haven't lost a son or a daughter, but everyone feels to the limit of their ability. After that is just this place of numbness, this place of survival. We all feel, that's why it's folly to compare one with another. Everyone feels to the limit and after that is just this vague survival where you grit your teeth and put one foot in front of the other. Everybody has a life of struggle and we all of us decide we're not going to let our lives be defined by trouble. Why? Because we're trying to be people of faith. What is the difference between a person of faith and a person who lives by sight? The difference is not that one calls themselves a Christian. No, lots of people call them Christian who are themselves Christian who, let's be honest, should not be calling themselves Christian. It's not the label that makes the difference. Lots of people believe that they, because they go to church, they are a person of faith. Well, now I'm glad for church. Church is God's plan for us to work together to change the world we're in and be reconciled to people who aren't like us and have friction of spiritual becoming. Man, that's some good preaching, Brother Nathan. Well, thank you there, Brother. I appreciate that, Brother Nathan. Well, you just keep going, Brother Nathan. Well, okay, I will, Brother Nathan. I have to just encourage myself in the Lord. And don't act like you don't talk to yourself. You're way crazier than I am. So, so I want you to see what is the difference. One person goes to church, the other one doesn't. Church is an aid, but that is not enough. What is the difference? The difference is this. A person of faith chooses to not walk by faith, by sight. They are not defining themselves by what they can see. They are not defining themselves by what they feel. They are defining themselves by the promises of God. I want to say it again to this side of the church. They are defining themselves by the promises of God. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't feel good, but it's okay. I'm not defined by my feelings. Uh, God said I'm going to make it. I don't feel strong, but it's okay. Why? I'm not defining myself by how I feel. God said I'm more than a conqueror. I want you to know the moment you choose to stop letting your trouble define you, you can start letting the promises in your life start defining you. It is then and only then that you become a person who walks by faith and not by sight. You are not the person you used to be. Why? Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are not who you used to be. God has an investment in you. God said that he has purchased you with his blood. God said he's committed to you. He said he would finish what he started in you. You need to define yourself by that and not by how it feels this week. Old timers used to quote this a lot. You don't hear it quoted as much, but old timers used to quote this all the time. Deuteronomy 28 and 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Sometimes when I'm fighting with my wife, true story, I'll tell her, look here, I am the head and not the tail. And she quotes back to me, if you heed the commandments of the Lord... Old timers said that thou shalt be the head and not the tail. That is absolutely the case. You were made to be victorious by God. You were made to be victorious by God. God has a big investment in of you. You need to quit living by sight and quit living by feeling and start defining yourself by promise. So let's play a little uh, first church preacher game here for a moment. (laughs) I'm not asking you how you feel. I'm asking you who you are. 
I said, I'm not asking you how you feel. I'm asking you who you are. I'm not asking you how other people see you. I'm asking you how God sees you. I'm going to tell you how God sees you. You are beloved of the Lord. You are the apple of his eye. Indeed, you were chosen before the foundations of the earth. You were sought out and adopted. You are no longer a spiritual orphan. You have been sought out and adopted as a son and or daughter of the Most High God. You will be seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. You are blessed with all spiritual blessing. Let me say it again. God has a big investment in you. I said God has a big investment in you. This struggle of who we are is not an exterior struggle. It's not a label you can put on you. It's an issue of the heart, the kind of life you are choosing to live. I'm choosing to be a person of faith. I am choosing to turn away from fear. I promise you, you will have opportunity probably within 24 hours to speak to the fear in your life and say no. You will have an opportunity probably in the next 24 hours to speak to some level of anxiety in your life and say as an act of choice, no. I am not a person living of this world, uh, in this world, for this world. I am defined by the promises of God. Let let me give you an example here of what I've tried to talk about. I've actually thought a lot this week on what is a good example to help people understand how we keep the heart. I know I can give you a lot of, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not, and all that's good. Um, But over time, I'm afraid sometimes we develop, shall we say, religious calluses. Uh, and we nod along and then do what we want to do, go where we want to go, be who we want to be, and you get the idea. Uh, so I, I actually thought a lot this week about what's an example of how we should keep our hearts that people uh, would in some way um, learn from. And I, I, I begin to think about how so much of faith um, is it's, it's, it's the living out of a choice. It's we make a decision and then we live it out by a following series of decisions. Uh, you, you, you set a spiritual goal of sorts and then you live out that goal. The goal is not one and done. Oh, I wish it were one and done. If it was one and done, uh, that would be uh, much, much easier. Um, but uh, this is more than just an issue of initial salvation. This is also invitation to kingdom of God, invitation to the manifestation of God's heart in the earth. This is an invitation to spiritual calling, to spiritual purpose. This is not just an issue of Jesus paid it all. This is not just a moment where we celebrate uh, a change in our life. This is an ongoing way, a choosing, a keeping of our heart. How can we show that as a teaching example? And I I begin to think uh, just how uh, many, many of us have been to museums. I, I, would, I would guess everyone here has been to a museum of some type. Um, museums are usually a celebration of a society once it starts to get wealthy. Um, <laughs> uh, very poor societies don't, uh, they can't afford to remember. They're trying to pay the rent. But once you start becoming a wealthy society, you start intentionalizing memory. And uh, what a museum is, is a place of intentional memory. We are celebrating something and holding it in our memory. Uh, Charlotte, this area, like most of, uh, most of the larger cities in America, is filled to overflowing with museums. I'll just name a few. Um, uptown is the Beckler Museum of Modern Art. Uh, there you'll see a celebration, an intentional remembering of modern artists, uh, like, like Picasso or I think it's Degas. I'm not an artsy type person, so forgive me if I mispronounce uh, one of those names. Uh, there's also a museum here in Charlotte, Harvey B. Gantt Center of African American Arts and Culture. Uh, it's more than things and, uh, or uh, in objects per se. They have, uh, they have more than film or photography. They have theater. They have uh, dance. They have literature. They have um, lectures, discussions. Uh, there's the McCall Center for Art and Innovation. And that's Uptown Charlotte in an old Gothic church that uh, he saved. He was uh, CEO of Bank of America for many, many years. And um, he saved it and turned it into the McCall Center for Art. And 
One of the unique things they have is they have artists in residence and you can literally take your kids up there and uh, if you find out the schedule, you can let your kids sit and watch a working artist as they create, as they, they work on things. And a lot of times the artists will even talk to your kids and uh, that's a way of remembering. Probably the biggest museum is the Mint Museum. Uh, here in Charlotte. It's called the Mint Museum because it's in, it was started in the old Mint building uh, for the region. Uh, there's other kind of museums. Uh, there's museums, everything from NASCAR to muscle car uh, to sports. Um, there are uh, religious museums. We have the wonderful Billy Graham Library here in Charlotte. If you haven't been there, you really, really should go. It's a moving experience. And uh, the Charlotte Museum of History, all of these are a celebration of something. They are an intentional celebration, highlighting, and remembering of something. Now watch this. Stay with me. A museum hires a curator. What is a curator? A curator is a professional who has spent their whole life studying the subject that is being celebrated. They are called a curator, which in one definition means a manager or a director and also is from the Latin word cura, meaning to take care of. And so a curator is somebody who takes care of the celebration of a specific thing. A curator is in charge of managing the memory of something that is being celebrated. Curators usually hold high academic degrees in the subject at hand, usually a a PhD or at least a master's degree in a subject like history or art or the history of art, say, archaeology, anthropology, uh, the classics. Uh, They they are intentional about saying uh, this would fit and this wouldn't fit. A curator looks at an object and decides if it belongs in the collection. You, in keeping your soul, are looking at everything in your life and asking yourself, does it belong in this temple of the Lord that I am in charge of? Just as a curator says, look, that might be fine for another museum, but it doesn't go in this one. In the same manner, you as a person of faith have to be able to look at anxiety, at depression, at fear, at doubt, and say, look, that's all very human, but it doesn't belong in this temple that I am charged of hosting for the king of kings. Or remember when I said you would understand the care of the soul better after the giving of the Holy Spirit because this This is the reality. You have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you create a place to celebrate the Shekinah. Hear me today when I say the care of your soul is more than you being a survivor of tough times. The care of your soul is producing a house that the presence of the Lord feels welcome in. Read the Old Testament. Read the care with which they did everything. The care with which they managed the tabernacle and then the temple. The care with which they tended the lamps. The care with which they offered incense. And notice that they don't call it duty. It is part of the worship. Man, that's some fine preaching. I say amen for myself. All of it, the care is part of the worship of the house of Israel unto the Lord. And there are people who have the duty to do what? To minister to the Lord all day long. At the rising of the sun, the Levites minister unto the Lord. The going down of the same, they minister unto the Lord. Your worship is more than an encouragement program on Sunday so you can make it through the week. Your worship is more than what you do when you get together with church people and the preacher has your favorite subject or what you do when the priest team sings your favorite song. Worship is more than experience. Worship is offering. 
because the care of our souls is much more about hosting the presence of God than it is finally being good enough where we deserve salvation. When we live trying to be good enough for God, we give an offering of fear. But when we host the presence of the Lord and we are no longer a slave but a love slave, we are no longer a servant but we are a son, we host the presence of God as worship and we care for our souls. Like a curator that says, look, if I let that in, this house is no longer going to be about the promises of God. It's now going to be about the fears of old Nate. It's no longer going to be about the presence of God. It's now going to be about the fear of this old guy. And this cannot be a house about me. This has to be a house about the presence of God. Oh, I've come to plead with some church folks here today. Let Monday be just as much about worship as Sunday is. Let Tuesday be just as much about hosting the presence of God as Sunday is. How do we curate our souls? I, I want to show you some passages of Scripture where this is exactly what we are being instructed to do. As our, as our musicians come, I, I'm going to give you some passages of Scripture. I read the passage where Jesus is trying to answer this question of the pure heart. Uh, he has taken us in his teaching on this huge range of saying when you do evil things that comes from the heart and also saying blessed are the pure in heart as though to remind us on both sides uh, our hearts have become uh, the hosting place of the presence of God and it is incumbent upon us to keep our hearts with all diligence because the issues of life are are held within our hearts. Let me read you some passages where uh, language like this is given to us in the scripture. Um, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, and he says this to him in uh, chapter number six, verse number uh, 11. And I love this passage because it's so assertive. It's such a declarative statement. I love this. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Do you hear what Paul just said? You are a man of God. You're not just trying to be another guy. Do you see what Paul's saying here? You are a man of God. There is things you should turn away from. You are a man of God. Now, if you're not, hear me, if you're not trying to be a man of God, then guess what? Knock yourself out. But if you're trying to be a man or woman of God, is there any spiritual hunger in anybody's heart here today? I'm not just trying to be another guy making it through another day. Oh, I want the presence of God in my life. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. Is there any hunger when the Lord comes back? Is he going to find faithful people? I'm hungry. You are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with, here it comes, I'm curating, I'm curating my life. I'm choosing more of this, less of that. More promise, less fear. More prayer, less entertainment. I am curating my life. You, Timothy, you're trying to be a man of God. There should be things you're just not interested in. Why? Because you don't want that life. You're being a man of God. Here is things instead you should be choosing. Righteousness, a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Timothy, you're curating your life. You are creating a life for yourself by pursuing the things of God. You need to be thinking about things like, like faith and things like love and things like perseverance and, and things like, like gentleness. It's going to feel like a fight, Timothy. So fight the good fight for the true faith and hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Paul will write this again and again. 
uh, not necessarily uh, or primarily, I should say, to new believers, but uh, more often to people who have been serving God for a while. Uh, he writes in the end of his letter to the church at Philippi, uh, some of my favorite script words and all the, all the, the word of the Lord. Uh, I know I say that every time I, I get a scripture I like, and I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. It's one of my favorite passages in the word of the Lord. Uh, he writes this to mature believers. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say uh, rejoice. How do we live? Somebody say rejoice. How do we walk? How do we overcome? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. What are you guys known for? Are you known for gentleness? What are you known for? Let your gentleness be known to all men. I want to say I'm I'm so thankful that I was raised by a Christian gentle man. Thank you, Dad, for not feeling like you had to be a macho. Can I, can I be really honest with you? I'm so sick of tough guy preachers. Ain't none of us tough. We need God every day of our life. What are you known for? You ought to be known for gentleness to all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. Now, he's going to give you the language of a curator who is saying, we're going to intentionalize this collection. We're not just putting anything in it. We're going to intentionalize it. We're going to choose. And so here comes the language of a spiritual curator. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't make requests of God if you're not also offering thanksgiving to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. How? Through Christ Jesus. Hear the language of a spiritual curator. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, or if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It is though you look at the junk coming you all day long, and you're like one of them fancy curators. You're so fancy, you can't even speak without a British accent. You're so fancy. You're a a, a curator. And they bring some junk in in front of you. And they say, here's a bunch of fear. And you say, no, thank you. I don't think so. Not here. Maybe over there, but not here. Be gone. And all the junk gets taken out. And they bring you another pile of fear. And you say, oh my, I don't think so. Not today. Be gone. Be gone. Shoo away. You're a curator. You know what curators do? They say, that's just a bunch of junk. There's no sense living my life in the middle of that junk. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am not of this world. I'm just in this world. I am no longer a spiritual orphan. I am a child, a child, a child of God. So less of that and more of this with the fear, out with the anxiety, out with the doubt. (laughs) I want you to know, I formally give every one of you permission that the next time someone brings a evil report to you, you say something like, oh no, that's poppycock. I want you to have the privilege to look that junk, that gossip, that fear, that negative report and say, oh no, poppycock. And you say, I'm a curator of the house of the Lord and I am the house of the Lord and I'm not going to fill it with junk. I'm not going to fill it with sin. I'm not going to fill it with fear. I am going to celebrate who he is. 
stand with me all across the house. That is how you and I minister to the Lord. We make a worship of our life. That is how we minister to the Lord. We look at what the world offers and we say, no thank you, no thank you. I am ministering to the Lord and this house is going to be clean. This house is going to be swept. This house, the lamp is not going to go out in this house. Why? I am ministering unto the Lord. He desires fellowship and I tend to the place of his Shekinah in my life and therefore worship becomes more than Sunday in enthusiasm there's nothing wrong with Sunday enthusiasm give me more give me more (laughs) there's nothing wrong with Sunday praise give me more give me more but on Monday you need to look at the smorgasbord of doubt and fear that hell is throwing at you and say no thank you I'm living a different kind of life No, thank you. This is the house of the Lord, and I am ministering unto the Lord. If we keep our hearts, yes, we become survivors, but we also minister unto the Lord. Yes, we become witnesses to others, but we also become ministers unto the Lord. We host the Shekinah glory of God, and that is the highest calling of the believer to host the presence of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm praying for all of us here today. Lord, I confess that I am I'm a very fragile man. I have many, many needs of you that only you can provide. I confess my desperate need for you. I could not produce righteousness worthy of salvation. All I can do is live in response to a righteousness you covered me with. I contend to my heart and make it a mercy seat that your blood is sprinkled upon. And then the worship of your great name and the worship of your nature is a natural ascending incense in my life bringing glory to you bringing praise to you Lord I pray that as a church that we would get this we would get this we would not simply try to uh, serve one another and do enough so we accept one another Lord save us from so low a bar of righteousness Lord instead challenge us to keep our hearts challenge us to war against the the sin that that comes from our hearts the unregenerate nature that has not been transformed that needs to be daily brought under subjection to your word and your will Lord Jesus help us to live lives of worship to keep our hearts as living testimony to the world in which we are placed in Jesus we're going to turn the rest of the service into a a prayer service we're going to have some time for reflection some time for consideration we're going to pray together I want to say to all of our guests and friends thank you for worshiping with us we're honored to have you we hope you feel at home Uh, we're glad you're here if you need to slip out at any time you're welcome to do so But I don't want to rush away from the presence of the Lord. And so I'm going to invite every one of you who will to let right where you're standing become a a place of prayer. Uh, Or if you would prefer, if you're comfortable, if you'd like to step out and come stand around this front. We have lots of room down here. We can can still be safe here in the front. Uh, But let's just for a little while, let's, let's just stand in the presence of God and let's offer him our hearts. There's this old song that we sang for years entitled, I Surrender All. Many of you will know it. We're going to sing that song, but I I don't want you just to stand and think about where you're going to go eat. I want you to just for a moment make it holy. Just for a moment, hallow it unto the Lord and offer your heart to to the one who made you, to your creator here today. If you know this song, sing it with us.
Yes, yes, yes. If you know this song, I want to hear you sing it. Lift your voice with us right now. Oh, I surrender. I surrender all. right now all across the house Lord we want to be your people we want to celebrate your way we want to worship you we want to glorify you in our lives keep us from unrighteousness oh God purify us from all the many many paths of wickedness and silliness Lord Jesus save us from an obsession with entertaining our souls rather than feeding our souls Lord Jesus, place within us a passion to host your presence. Place within us a passion to walk with you, to serve you, to glorify your name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.